0: Welcome to the Luminaries In and Out of Sect podcast, a show about the sun and how astrologers embody and relate to it. My name is S. P. Hall, and I'm your host. In today's episode on the Aquarius sun as the sect light, I speak with the incredibly brilliant, prolific astrologer Kira Ryberg. I'm really excited to be dropping this next episode of my new sun series, which will continue for the next year. For new listeners, please go back and listen to the moon series that I've been doing over the last year where I spoke to different astrologers about their moon sign. These Aquarius sun episodes were really fun for me to record, and I think they're very engaging conversations. It was so interesting to go right from Saturn's nocturnal sign of Capricorn last month to their diurnal air sign of Aquarius this month to see the contrast of these signs and how the sun shows up there. In this conversation, we talked about a lot of different sun topics, and I just wanted to plug some of Kira's lectures that relate to the sun that I've personally gotten a lot out of. The main ones are the Ninth house lecture, which is the house where the sun joys, perhaps where the sun likes to be most in a chart. The purpose and profession lecture, which talks a lot about the lot of spirit, which is the sun's lot, in contrast to other points or places in the chart. As well as Kira's zodiacal releasing lecture, where she talks about using the lot of spirit in that particular timing technique. In addition, if you haven't already listened and want to hear more of Kira and I chatting about astrology, we did another episode on the Law of Fortune earlier last year, so you can check that out too. I provided a link to Kira's lectures in the show notes. As always, if you enjoy the work that I'm doing, please contribute to the podcast Sustainability by becoming a supporting member or offering a one-time donation on my website. There you can also find information on my services. I'm currently offering natal and timing consultations as well as answering horary questions. Hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, Kira Ryberg, thank you so much for being here today. It's good to have you back. How how are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to be back, excited to talk about Aquarius suns, shine some light on what that experience is like. Yeah, I'm doing good.
0: Yeah, me too. The, the Capricorn uh I'm a Capricorn sun. And so it'll be interesting to have two like very different kind of Saturnians talking to each other about like, you know, the, 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 the diurnal light in these kind of Saturnian places. Um, and I feel like the Capricorn episodes were really, really good. So yeah, I'm excited to get into this next iteration of the, of the sun sign series. How has the recent astrology been for you? I'm like, what's What's even been going on? I know that last time you were on for the Lot of Fortune episode, we talked about like Mercury retrogrades being particularly impactful. I think we just got out of like, uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on like shadow periods and <laughs> how much how much weight you put into them. I think we just got out of the post retrograde shadow like yesterday. Yeah. So how's it been?
1: Yeah, I think shadow periods are very real, but I also think we're, constantly in a shadow period or a retrograde like if you take on whatever three weeks on the front end of Mercury's retrograde cycle and like three weeks on the back end and the three weeks of the retrograde and you add all that up and times that by four like
2: mm-hmm. most
1: of the year is spent in shadow or is spent in retrograde or at least half of it but it still feels relevant to me like I can notice a distinct shift of when Mercury does get out of shadow. It does feel like certain things are wrapping up like that there has been a review of certain things and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like okay now it's time to chart new territory which is yeah. always fun and exciting for me um so yeah i'm happy that mercury is finally moving forward as someone who is ruled by mercury um and then yeah pluto just moved into aquarius which is a big shift we were kind of talking yeah. about that before we jumped on here and that feels pretty massive for me personally because as mm-hmm. we'll talk about i've got a lot of aquarius placements so i feel like i've been Sensing that impending, maybe not doom, but transit beginning, Mm -hmm. and it almost felt like uh, to me like Pluto was like
0: pounding on the gates of my ninth house, like let Mm -hmm. me in, let me in. Mm -hmm. And so now, do you you feel doomful about it? Because I've been feeling quite hopeful, like hoping for the alleviation of the Capricorn house in my chart, and like welcoming the ending of that. Although I know, like you know, people are posting on Twitter about like. You know, Pluto's Pluto is going to move back into Capricorn later in the year, but I'm like, okay, we're going to have some time before that, you know, <laughs> we're going to get like a real kind of, we got a taste uh, in 2023 and we're going to get like kind of the real beginnings of Pluto and Aquarius now, even though we have that, you know, retreat back into Capricorn.
1: Yeah, totally. I tweeted about that yesterday. I was saying that first transit felt almost like a toe dip.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: This one
1: feels like we're jumping in head first and then we have yeah. to get out for some reason and then we get back in and we're fully there. Mm-hmm. But last time it just felt like we were almost like testing the waters and now mm-hmm. we're in it. And so I'm definitely relieved to have Pluto out of my eighth. Um, that's been a journey for the last mm-hmm. 15 years. And so
2: mm-hmm.
1: I feel a lot of relief about that. I think... You know, my Aquarius situation is my sun, my moon, and my chart ruler. Mm -hmm. So it's not just any planets. It's the most personal planets. And so I think that there is a part of me that is a little, you know, um, I don't want to say fearful because that's not helpful. But a little, you know, weary of what Mm -hmm. could come to pass. Mm -hmm. But I am hopeful regarding the themes that I've seen coming up since Pluto has been like starting to move into there. That makes me feel a little bit more hopeful, but I don't know. I don't trust the outers. You know, they're always going to surprise you. And it's mm-hmm. a twenty-year transit. Like it's going to bring some good and some bad. You know, so right. I'd have to just have to strap it and go for the ride, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely hear that. Um, and it's interesting too because it's not like. You know, people talk about transits sometimes as if you go back to where you started, but I think the interesting things about transits is along with like the other kind of timing elements, uh, of your personal astrology, they really do like move the narrative forward in an irreversible way. So it's not like the, you know, for you, the eighth house things are just going to go back to where they were before this kind of long Pluto transit. It's like, you have to deal with a new landscape. Um,
1: yeah. so that's a great way of putting it. It feels yeah, it feels like a very major transformation. I mean, it's 15 years, but there was a very consistent thread of what Pluto in my eighth house was of just dealing with other people's money and resources. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, it started when I was in middle school or something. Mm-hmm. So that started out as watching my parents navigate that. And then that turned into me navigating that. And then
2: mm-hmm.
1: now I can see the way that some of that stuff is starting to, to wrap up. And that makes me really happy because eighth house stuff is never... Well, maybe not never but rarely fun i mm. think ninth house stuff has the the capacity to be a lot more fun especially when yeah. it's like transformation in the ninth house way you know but it's more mm. about the like pluto moon stuff but i've got a long time we've got like 15 years before that happens so
0: yeah <laughs> see where i'm at when we get there right all right kira can you offer us uh, an introduction to yourself and and your practice
1: Sure. Um, I'm Kira Ryberg. I'm a traditional Hellenistic-inspired ch- astrologer, writer, diviner, wannabe philosopher is usually my spiel. And I've started adding an actual human onto that because it seems like sometimes people forget on the internet that we are actual people.
0: And Very good for Pluto and Aquarius yeah, to remember that <laughs> actual we're- Actual
1: human. <laughs> it's right on right on brand for that. Because um, yeah, things you know, might
0: get a little- Things might get a little, uh, you know, the, the lines might get a little bit more blurred. With yeah, your own Aquarius.
1: Absolutely. It's going to get weird, um, hopefully in exciting ways and not only terrifying ones. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've been practicing professionally since 2020. I'm certified in Hellenistic Intellectual Astrology through Chris Brennan. He's probably my primary teacher. I've also learned from Austin Kopik and Robert Schmidt, Demetra George, you know, the the greats, um, Mm -hmm. along with lots of ancient astrologers and their surviving works, which have been a guiding light in my practice. And yeah, I think I'm just here to help people fall in love with themselves, fall in love with the cosmos and the connection between all of us and every sentient being in
2: the world.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And that's really what I'm trying to do.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that, Kira. Um, And I don't know why I'm asking this but did you tell the story of like how you became an astrologer when you were on the podcast last time like I'm curious like what what led you to astrology and what led you to doing it professionally
1: yeah I don't think so I think we were really like a lot of fortune based it was Mm -hmm. less of like a very talk about very
0: fate and free will (laughs) uh, focus
1: a bit more of an intense conversation probably um Yeah. So I had a friend who was really into it and she was um, really big in tarot and Mm -hmm. she wanted to actually ironically start a podcast and she wanted me to do the astrology stuff, but I didn't know anything about astrology. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I got to learn or I can't have nothing to add. Mm -hmm. And obviously that podcast does not exist um, anymore, but it was basically what kind of got me interested. It, It was what pulled me down the rabbit hole. And then I just never got out. It was very mm. rapid, starting to just, oh, what are signs and planets and taking notes on everything and reading everything I can on every website. And then, oh, what's the astrology podcast and getting into that and then realizing, oh, traditional astrology is different from modern astrology. And then just kind of going down that, taking Chris's course and I didn't intend to become a professional astrologer. It happened to me, very fated, um, during a loosing of the bond, uh, no less. And mm. I had a friend who was just asking me questions about um, her boyfriend's astrology at the time. She was like, "What, what can you tell me about this?" Mm-hmm. You know. So I was just rattling off the things that came to mind, and she was like, "You're really good at this." And I was just like, "Man, eh, not you know, not not really. Like I just mm-hmm. kind of been doing it," and unbeknownst to me, she sends something in her group chat that's like, I have a friend who's an astrologer. Does anybody want their chart read? And I did not know she was doing that.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then she comes back and says, I have two people who want readings. You can just charge them 20 bucks, but I think you should do it. Wow. And I did those two readings. They recommended me to more people. And it just kind of spiraled from there into a whole full-blown career. Here we are.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I'm just like thinking about your chart. Let me pull it up. I also want to say, um, so I just recently shared my chart publicly for the first time when I was on a podcast with Mackenzie McCormick for the Mars and Sag episode. And it feels like an honor to be on the other (laughs) side now. Cause like Mackenzie was like tearful when I was like, this is the first time I'm sharing my chart. And so it just feels cool to be able to, you know, you have been like a public figure in the astrological space for a while so it just feels cool to to be sharing your chart right now um I've and it's kind
1: of they said to share it so oh nice
0: <laughs> there we go cool so it's just funny that like the way that you got into astrology if we think of astrology as like a ninth house thing is by like being going on a podcast and doing that publicly and like you have the ruler of the ninth in the 10th, which is generally just like an indication for doing ninth house stuff professionally. Um, but that's just like a funny thing because I have not heard many other people getting into astrology in that way. Yeah. Um, It was
1: a really weird, probably too fast too. you know, like mm -hmm. I feel like most people, I don't often tell the story because a lot of people think you need to study for four years before you can ever give a professional reading. And that just wasn't my journey. It wasn't my path. And I feel, I think I had shame about that for a while. Yeah. Uh, like it made me less valid or something, Aquarius sun things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also have that, you know, sextile from the sun to Jupiter, which is one of the tightest aspects in my chart. And I've got Jupiter in the seventh house in Sagittarius. And to me, that felt very much like my friend kind of pushing me off the ledge. Yeah. which then kind of started my whole career. I would not be doing this probably professionally. At least I wouldn't have for a very long time if it wasn't for her just saying, here's clients, <laughs> you know, I did right. it for you. Yeah. Um, So yeah, there's it shows up in my chart in cool ways, I think.
0: Yeah. And for those people who are out there, because I, I feel like I have a kind of similar experience where I was like, oh, I think I want to do this professionally. And I kind of started, you know, doing that, as a pretty new student um, and I feel like it's worked pretty well, but how did you feel like you were ready or for people who are maybe like, I want to do this professionally, but if they don't know if they're ready or not, like what suggestions might you have for those people?
1: Yeah. I think for me, I started doing written reports. So I spent a lot of time on these, you know, Mm -hmm. I was doing, I was spending like eight hours or more on a single report and charging people 20 bucks. you know, It was mm. a process of just getting comfortable with that, I think. And then even when I moved into doing live consultations, I would still write the reports and then I would have like my kind of guide with me. Yeah. which now I don't I don't really do that anymore um, because it just takes way too much time and I don't need it anymore. But mm-hmm. there was that process there of like, it was slow. You know, there was like a slow integration of like, first I do the written ones, then I do written and live, and then I just move into live. And so
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think it's about listening to yourself and what you feel comfortable with. And I think it was a podcast, an astrology podcast episode where they just answered questions, you know, how they used to do those mm-hmm. um, with Austin and Kelly And I think Kelly said one time, the minute that you can say something to someone about their chart that they don't know, that's when you have something to offer. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, I I can do that. Like, I've got a lot more knowledge than the average person. And so I think as long as you're being honest and fair and telling me, like I told everybody, you know, I don't, I'm just started. (laughs) I'm not Mm -hmm. very, you know, I'm not a professional yet. I'm going to be charging way less. And slowly building your way up from there, I think is a really good way to get the experience. Because I think you can read so many books, you can take so many courses, and you you should. And you that's a great thing to do to kind of get that like baseline level of knowledge down. Mm-hmm. But there is just something that cannot be replicated about having a live face-to-face consultation and talking to people about their charts. You're going to learn so much more than you're ever going to learn in a book. And so I think you kind of have to have both and on some ways for the right people, I think having that early on can be just a huge accelerator in how much you learn.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I think I'll also say, because I don't know if I've said this like on the podcast before, but for people that are interested in doing uh like a podcast, an astrological podcast, I like really want to encourage people to do that too because you know, I was just on a podcast with um, J.M. Hamadi talking about like astrology and podcasts.
2: Cool. And so this is
0: kind of like fresh in my mind. And I think that's going to be released in a few weeks, maybe after this episode, we released this episode. But awesome. um, there's like I think being in consultation feels, you know, the kind of way we put it in the in the episode was like it feels very mercurial for me in particular um like very technical and very structured and i think that there is like this kind of jupiterian lunar element of giving a consultation like uh you know like a a consulting astrologer can be akin to like a counselor even though like for legal reasons they're not a counselor (laughs) or a therapist anything like that but there's an element of like witnessing a person being with them in solidarity like um, being an emotional kind of support and like framing that or having like this stru- astrological structure, but doing an astrology podcast and maybe because it's like, um, I feel like my role is different and I'm still kind of like discovering my own role in consultation versus like being a podcast host. Like it feels like a different kind of role
2: mm-hmm. at least
0: slightly. And it feels like, uh, but it feels like a really important kind of learning. And I think it helps other people learn by listening and hearing the embodied experience of knowledgeable astrologers. But there's like only so much I can do like two, you know, I'm doing like two episodes a month, sometimes a little bit more. And like, that's it, you know, and I'm covering this very specific topic. And that's all I'm doing. And so yeah, I think I want to encourage other people if they want to do like similar stuff you know, or whatever they want to do in terms of an astrology podcast. So like go for it because it, it is also a kind of intensification of learning Um, that kind of can't be the only way I feel like it can it, it, thing it's akin to is if you have like a really intense astrological community that you're kind of talking to all the time. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's the application, right? Like instead mm-hmm. of just the sitting down and reading a book, it's, Applying what you know, whether it's you generating really thoughtful questions for your guests and like submerging yourself in that kind of world, or having a conversation with your Astro group chat and everybody kind of just speaking the same language, right? There's a way that you are now jumping into the application mode in the same way that you do in a consult, rather than just reading it off a page. Which don't get me wrong, I love my Astro books. So I've got a whole bookcase behind me mm-hmm. <laughs> of like astrology books. I just think it's important to do. You need both pieces of the puzzle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wonderful. Yeah, for the people who are listening, I've had Kira's chart pulled up. Uh, It's Gemini rising with this kind of like little Aquarius stellium here in the ninth whole sign house with the moon, Mercury, and the sun there in Aquarius. Um, Yeah, so... You're a very like ninth house kind of person, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and yeah, do you have anything else you want to kind of point out in terms of your chart at this moment?
1: Um, I mean, I've got Mars opposing the Aquarius stellium and Leo, which might be helpful as we move throughout this. And then I've got both benefics in the seventh, which is the real nice part of my chart,
2: I think. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite beautiful, yeah. So your Malefic out of sect, which, uh, is kind of deemed like the most challenging planet, depending upon you know other configurations perhaps or other kind of factors, um, perhaps that's opposing, um, these Aquarius planets, perhaps like your moon most particularly because your moon is applying to it, Mm -hmm. um, and then yeah, you have Saturn and Pisces in the tenth, um. Yeah, for Saturn Pisces people, do you feel like you've started? Do you feel like you've started your Saturn return? Oh yeah. Since Pisces is like there, (laughs) even though that you haven't had like the direct hit yet, you're gonna have that later this year.
1: Yeah, I have it in like two months, I think. Yeah, it's it's going. We're Mm -hmm. in it. (laughs) And I only get the one hit too. Um, it comes back, I think, to like maybe 12 degrees and then stations. Direct and oh, okay. moves forward. So I've kind of got the one and done Saturn return rather than the retrograde, mm-hmm. you know, thing that some people get where they get three passes. And so yeah, I'm definitely fully in the Saturn return at this point.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And um with Saturn being in the tenth and ruling the ninth and the eighth, perhaps your Saturn return might be more particularly about these kind of like this kind of the topics of this quadrant, um, or what have you, like, you know, those shared resources you were talking about with Pluto and Capricorn earlier, and then the ninth house topics that we're going to probably touch on a lot today. And then 10th house of, you know, like work and public, public presentation or what have you.
1: Yeah, definitely. That feels very on point for what it's like so far.
0: Hmm. Okay. And to kind of move on about the conversation about the sun and like sun sign astrology in general, like before you became an astrologer, like, did you relate to your horoscope when you like read it? Did you do that a lot? Did you identify heavily as an Aquarius?
1: Yeah, I think I did. I don't know if it's because it's just the stellium, you know, but Mm -hmm. I always felt very Aquarian, even though I think a lot of sun sign astrology, especially the kind that I would read when I was, you know, a kid, like in the magazines and stuff was more based on Uranus as the ruler of Aquarius rather mm. than Saturn, which I'm sure we're going to get into at some point throughout this episode. But I think I always felt, yeah, like a bit of the, the outcast or like that typical Aquarian vibe of just being like the weirdo or the kid who just doesn't feel like they fit in, you know, mm-hmm. like other people do. And so I think I really related to my son's side and I've always really loved the sun. You know, I think it's like very true that it's a form of remediation just to be in the sun for me. Like I need Mm. to get outside. And if I don't, then I can just feel like my life force draining at a rapid, (laughs) at a rapid rate. Like I thrive in the spring and the summer and in the winter, I get a little more, you know, Saturnian, um, melancholic and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I think that that all really shows up. Like I, I do, I love, sun like you know I I really have like a strong relationship with it as a force and astronomy more than you know like not necessarily just like the astrological significations but even some of my primary work in astrology is around like the lot of spirit which is the sun's lot and so I think Mm -hmm. in both ways I feel very drawn to it as a presence and I don't know if that's just subconscious remediation or something like that like a sunflower on the back of my neck that i got when i was before i was ever into astrology and things like that so i feel like there was just these ways i was always pulled to it you know um yeah yeah
0: what's what's the term so for people who aren't familiar with you you live in france and i'm curious what the term for sunflowers in in french
1: that's a good question i honestly don't (laughs) think
0: okay because in spanish it's, it's girasol which means sun turn and it's interesting that sunflowers like you know, all plants are responsive to the sun and will move to the sun, but in Spanish, at least the name is literally like turning to the sun.
1: Yeah. I really, I feel like I do. Yeah. It's Tun as well. So like turning to the sun as well. It's mm. like, wait, that's sprung something that sounds right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's that, you know, I, it's because my grandma had a huge sunflower field outside of her house when I was a kid and I would go visit mm. her and we would just love to be in the sunflower field. She has like pictures of me from when I was a kid. And so mm-hmm. it was like a big thing, you know, yeah. um, in
0: my did, childhood. Did you live close to your grandma?
1: No, I was in California and she was in Virginia. So I'd go spend uh-huh. like summers with my family in Virginia and go, uh, go to the sunflower field.
0: <laughs> oh, cool. So you were ex- around sun a lot. Cause like I just moved back to New York. So I've been dealing the very Saturnian Aquarian. You know, it's been like 20 degrees this whole week and and I've been like not moving as much as I need to. And like I just I was just walking my dog and was the sun is shining today and the the sky is clear. And I'm like, okay,
2: okay. Like
0: getting 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 the little bits that I can and just appreciating, you know, like the warmth and the cold kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but growing up, like I think. Growing up in California, where like have I've spent time in California, yeah, you just don't have to deal with the winter in the same way. And then um, I spend a lot of time around in college and after college in Baltimore, which is a similar climate to mm-hmm. to Virginia, and it's very humid and hot in the summer. Um, yeah, so you very were good, around man. the sun a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean San Diego is kind of known for always being sunny you know Mm -hmm. like the coldest it gets it's like 50 degrees and so i was yeah kind of in a place where i was naturally remediating all the time because i was just Mm -hmm. in the sun yeah and then i moved to france and obviously it's a very different climate here we still get summers but you have all four seasons and so there was a big shift of i I remember i got here i didn't even have like a winter coat i was like what do you Mm. mean (laughs) (laughs) I was not prepared for like what a winter felt Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. and so it was a big adaptation but I think I do appreciate each season but I do notice that my mood and general temperament changes a lot with each season and I think that part of that is just because I'm lacking sunlight you know Mm -hmm. And like a, a little lizard like the second that it gets warm and sunny outside I'm like I go out and I like get on a rock and try to work outside as much as possible and Uh stuff like that yeah you know it's uh it feeds my life force for sure
0: yeah it's funny in the same way and I feel like the remediation that I found here in New York in in winter and it took me a long time actually like it took me into adulthood to like figure this out was just like uh not like the the kind of heat that the sun can bring but like cultivating warmth and what that looked like for me here was like just layering appropriately Mm -hmm. um and like covering covering my skin from the cold so like the other day I went out and it was very cold and very windy here um I live by the ocean, so it gets very windy. And there are people who are like walking out with coats, but they like didn't have hats on and stuff. And I have like I have like a thermal mask on, <laughs> I have gloves, I have two jackets yeah. on. Like yeah. But like that gives like that creates this kind of heat for me where I don't go outside and like hate the fact that I'm outside. Like I go outside and it's just I feel kind of neutrality about the cold. Um yeah. so I'm curious what like how that transition was for you and how you kind of learned to live in a seasonal place.
1: Yeah, I mean, the transition was rough. I think the first year, I just really wasn't ready for it. And I was also in a, I was au pairing. So I was, you know, mm. living with a family. It yeah. wasn't a great situation. Like the vibes weren't the best. Um, And so, you know, winter you're feeling very caged in. And so I think I got a very Saturnian experience of that. And then over time now, I, you know, have a home with my husband and I like, I need a fire every night in the winter. Mm. <laughs> like, And if it were my choice, I would have a fire all day long and I would just mm-hmm. sit by the fire. I don't know if that's my Leo I see, but that to me is almost like my form of getting that warmth. And then I have a dog too. So I go out for a, a dog walk every day, you know, and I think what you're saying is so true. Like you have to dress appropriately, which was a real learning experience for me. Cause I came yeah. from California where it's just crop tops and sandals and shorts Mm -hmm. all the time so I didn't understand like you can't you can't do that you know you have to you have to dress appropriately for the weather otherwise you're going to get sick and get cold and Mm
2: -hmm.
1: all of the things that you just kind of described um and so yeah it was a big big learning experience but I think now I I kind of appreciate having different seasons and different moments and I think it feels a little like a little bit more like I'm in Rhythm with nature, because in mm-hmm. San Diego, it almost just feels like you go from warm-ish to warm to hot to warmish to warm to hot. There's not mm-hmm. variation. And so, you know, San Diego is kind of like a the desert in a lot of ways if you're not too close to the beach. So it just has a different very different, very different climate,
0: yeah, yeah. There's an interesting thing there, I think, with seasonality and Saturn um and time where my experience of living in California, like I lived in LA, uh, and like, you can go many, many days where it's just 70 and sunny every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it warps time in a interesting way where I think you can go. and, And I think this is maybe evident in like, I don't know if San Diego is like this, but, um, I would meet people in LA and they'd be like, oh, when did you get here? And I'd be like, four years ago. And they'd be like, oh, you just got here. Like, <laughs> welcome to LA. And I'd be like, no, I've been here for four years. You know, like yeah. I've been here for a long time. In New York, if you're here for four years, you're like almost an honorary New Yorker. Yeah. Uh, you know, like if you can make it that long, cause it's, can be so harsh here. Um, but there's an interesting like warping of time that happens. And I think there's something about seasonality uh and like the coldness that comes in Saturn seasons Capricorn season and Aquarius season that feels you know like it brings this kind of uh different experience of time that I don't know if I can quite put my finger on but feels very kind of visceral
1: yeah like you go through the death of nature and you know the days being extremely short and of course there's kind of that in you know, LA and San Diego as well, but not nearly to the same extent, you know, like you don't really watch the leaves turn colors.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so you don't have that kind of reckoning of like, oh, the year is coming to a close. Oh, it's slowly starting to get like, you know, colder and colder. And then all of a sudden I cannot go outside without a jacket and gloves and a beanie and all of these things. And I think it kind of gives you that appreciation of the passing of time. Mm -hmm. Whereas like what you're describing in San Diego or California or Southern California more specifically you don't have that so it kind of just feels very monotonous Mm -hmm. you know rather than yeah like there's like this temporal quality to living in places that do get
0: colder i think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah sorry for saying california norcal people don't don't come yeah i don't (laughs) have the experience living up there i'm sorry um
1: they're like it definitely gets cold up here i don't know what there you're there
0: were, there are definitely times when i thought like san francisco was norcal and people would be like no like that's the bay
1: yeah yeah you know the specificities so. of it all
0: mm-hmm. um cool all right um yeah what is like the sun do you have any additional thoughts about what the sun means astrologically uh, beyond just like your kind of personal relationship with the sun is like this kind of astronomical being.
1: Yeah. I think the sun has a lot to do with our spirit. And I think that this is something that's gotten really warped in modern astrology where we just say like the sun is the ego. Mm. And while there are egoic qualities to the sun, I think primarily it is your life force. It's your spirit. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, the thing that animates you. And so there is something that's very deeply personal about the sun in astrology and I think we kind of have to make the sun cool again <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's like we've we've kind of created this feeling where it's like you know um yeah just like we really over it on like oh it's like this egocentric thing like the sun is all about having you know all of the attention and all of this stuff and it's like just I always say this to leos in, in sessions where I'm like you know if you don't give a baby attention, it dies. Like we mm. all need attention as humans. That's not a yeah. fault or something that's a problem with you if you need attention and care and someone mm-hmm. to just like shine some warmth on you. And so I think mm-hmm. we've kind of somehow like demonized the sun a little bit and I wish that we would go back a little bit more to saying that it's actually really important and it is a true piece of who you are. And I think that's why sun sign astrology does work. That's why it hits. That's why it's the thing that is the bridge for so many people to learn more because there is something extremely resonant and true and while we may have gone really far into you know a part of that that's just not helpful with sun sign astrology like not everything is going to be dependent on that it's still incredibly important and so yeah i think of it as being you know crucial to your life force your vitality the thing that mm-hmm. energizes you and it's a deeply personal part of the chart i think
0: yeah i sensed in you talking about and like I relate to this but you talking about um becoming a professional astrologer like maybe a hint of perfectionism uh and so like I think for myself like I can have big goals or like want to achieve kind of like big things and that's maybe driven by like an unfortunate like inherited perfectionism but like my goal for this series is really like my my very humble goal for this series is uh to kind of like replace the Sun in contemporary astrology because I do feel like we my experience or my perception is that we are in a place where um you know you have like the modern astrologers maybe that prioritize the sun and Sun Sun astrology and then you have more quote unquote traditional astrologers who, de-emphasize it or like mm-hmm. almost reject it because it has been so kind of um co-opted by modern astrologers and like has you know like the newspaper horoscopes have these kind of like capitalistic connotations and like all mm-hmm. of these things and there's a rejection of that but it is like we do live in a solar system you know like the sun is incredibly important for our individual lives. And so how do we like put, you know, like, how do we put that, that in its right place? Like, um, and I don't know if I'll be able to do that, but that's at least the goal. Cause I do think that that's important. Um,
1: yeah, I love that. And it is important, you know, it's like, how do we find, how do we strike the balance between the two of having us gone so far into one direction with sun sign astrology and, like you mentioned, like newspaper columns, and now it's all like sun sign memes and mm-hmm. all of this in the Instagram era. And then, you know, the other side of it, which is like, no, there's so many more interesting things at in the chart to talk about than the sun. Mm-hmm. It's like, maybe, but the sun's also incredibly important as well. And so how do we kind of, yeah, find the in between that feels really, you know, balanced. And I think mm-hmm. I'm really excited. I don't know if you've seen this, um, but Meg Keen just launched a new offering on the sun and talking kind of like oh, bringing cool. it back to this place. That sounds like a lot, like what we're talking about. And
2: awesome. I was
1: really excited when I saw that someone was doing that. Cause it feels like exactly what we need is to say like, how is this really important? Like, how do you become sovereign in your own life? And how do you mm-hmm. lean into the parts of the sun that are so crucial for your being, you know, without going all the way to the say, like, this is my whole self, you know, cause it's a really yeah. important integral part of it, but it's not the entire picture. And so I think we just have to hold space for, for both. So I'm excited that there's astrologers like you and astrologers like Meg who are starting to to kind of re-emphasize that part of the sun that's that's been missing for a little bit, I think, in traditional astrology.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Kira. I really appreciate that. Um, and I just want to, you know, shout out the the Lot of Fortune episode that we did earlier last year. Um, you know, like lots are so important in. I don't like this term traditional astrology because I'm like, what tradition are we talking about? But yeah, um, pre-modern astrology lots are typically very important. And like the, perhaps the most important lots, I know zodiacal releasing is like a big part of your practice, uh, are the lot of fortune and the lot of spirit. And that basically uh, is reliant upon the ascendant, the moon and the sun, uh, mm-hmm. both of those lots. So those those three places I mean it's not a mistake that people are like what are your sun moon and rising because like those are uh in it I think in addition to your I think Kira the other Kira one of the other Kiras because I know there's yeah. multiple Kiras in the astrological community uh she's Kira Kira Taborn is trying to like expand it to SMR L. Yeah, like, yeah, and then like the the ascendant ruler as well, because that's like really really important, especially for like how the self manifests. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's just, um, you know, even within traditional astrology, it's kind of implied that the sun is quite important.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, if anyone's engaged with my work at all, you probably know I can't shut up about the lot of spirits. so. It's my favorite thing to talk about in a chart. And I wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't have the sun and the moon and the ascendant Mm -hmm. and, you know, things like that. So I think that to me shows your purpose in this life. Like what were you truly incarnated to do? Your lot of spirit Mm -hmm. is going to speak to that, whether it's related to your profession or not, Mm -hmm. which I think the two get conflated a lot in modern day society, that your purpose is always going to be your profession or you should be striving to do your purpose for your profession. And like, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe not, you know, (laughs) not for everybody. And I think, you know, sometimes it's really nice to have something that speaks to just that purpose point. And so the lot of spirit and using the sun and that calculation is going to be so crucial to kind of getting to the core of, like I said, like, what is, what is your, what are you trying to do here? What is your diamond trying to do here? What is your spirit trying to achieve in this lifetime?
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think those are some of the biggest questions that people can have in life, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's important. We got to, we got to talk
0: about the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know in your, um, I've listened to your purpose and profession lecture and you talk a lot about like really painting a picture of the place that the lot of spirit is like, what's the term, what's the Deccan and like, how has that Deccan been imagined? Um, And I guess for my own selfish reasons, I'm just curious because I also have the lot of spirit in the 12th house around the same degree. I'm just curious, like what you feel like uh, you have the lot of spirit in the 12th house at 22 Taurus. Like, what do you feel like, how does that house signification come in for you um, when you're delineating, delineating that for yourself?
1: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. It's the placement that I can delineate for everybody else and it's super easy. And I mm-hmm. have, you know, it's so funny. The, the closest I got to figuring out what i mean in my own chart was when I had another Gemini rising with a mm-hmm. lot of spirit in Taurus in the 12th house. And I was like, oh, like this is, this is how this shows up, you know? Mm-hmm. I think a big part of it for me is you know, Taurus especially, like it's being ruled by Venus, it's a benefic place, right? So there can be different experiences of the 12th house. Mm -hmm. And I often say there's, you know, a 12th house that feels a lot more like forced exile. And there's a 12th house that feels a lot more like the happy hermit. Mm. And for me, I'm like a happy hermit, you know, I need to be alone a lot. That's a big part of how I do my work, how I approach things. Um, And at the underlying of that with my Venus in the seventh, it's like, it's how I'm able to show up for connection. And so I Mm. think sometimes when you have your lot of spirit in the 12th house, it's about removing the shame you feel about needing solitude or space or alone time
2: mm-hmm. to
1: get in touch with your soul and your spirit. And also means it's just not going to be as obvious, right? Like it's in the 12th, yeah. you can't see it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so there are some like hidden mysteries that I think associate with that space as well as it being a place in the chart that we call metacosmios, which is in between worlds. And so mm-hmm. sometimes it's about navigating those in-betweens. And I think for me, having the ruler in the seventh is navigating those in-betweens with clients a lot of the time and trying to find, mm-hmm. you know, um, almost like being the medium or being that go-between between yeah. the cosmos and them. And so there's a big part of like kind of playing that role or that guide that I find shows up in those um, cadent houses quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just 12th house stuff, It's it's part of me. Can't get yeah. away from it, even though I don't have placements there. You know, if you have your lot of spirit in the 12th house, you might be a lot more 12th housey
0: than you Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. In addition to like your South node and, you know, like your low, your nodal access in that place too, which, you know, so another conversation, but yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just curious because like the ninth house is so prominent in your chart, but you have this very important point in the 12th house and both of these houses sometimes being associated with travel. Mm-hmm. Um, how you might differentiate that. And I guess I'm thinking about like Venus in the seventh of partnership, ruling the lot of spirit twelfth, that's like going far away to find a partner is like what kind of comes to mind most obviously, because I know you and like I'm I know a stereotype. That <laughs> I know that's your story, <laughs> but like having all this stuff in your ninth could also, you know, um yeah, ascendant ruler in the ninth finding identity abroad, this kind of thing, perhaps this can be, you know, that can be a both end finding identity abroad and also finding partnership abroad. Doesn't, those aren't mutually exclusive. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that they're both distinctly different things and both distinctly true. In my case, I think a big part of the Aquarian journey is being the outsider until you find the place or the people or the mm -hmm. circumstances where you can kind of feel sovereign and for me that was not in the United States I just didn't feel at home there I think there was always Mm -hmm. a big part of me that wanted to leave and I think that's also just ninth house stuff like I love to travel I love to experience other ways of doing life other perspectives but I think how I differentiate the ninth from the twelfth in terms of travel is more like the twelfth is immigration Mm -hmm. like it's the fourth from the ninth It's the process of being an outsider in a different place in a way that you don't get when you're only visiting, when you're a tourist, right? Like there's a distinct difference there of when you're like, you know, I'm just going to go to Italy for two weeks and Mm -hmm. eat all the pizza and the pasta and then going and like living in Italy. Those are very different things. One of them, you don't really need to know the language. The other one, you're probably going to have to learn or you're going to have a lot of trouble getting by. You have to start there's a separation there and i think that there is an exile component to moving abroad that's very real mm-hmm. you know um especially in those first few years where you don't probably know anybody you're mm-hmm. very alone you have to start over you don't speak the language you don't have the customs
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's very you have to assimilate right and so right. that process of assimilation i think is very Difficult, even when it's chosen, even when it's mm-hmm. preferred,
0: mm-hmm. and then we
1: could also get into immigration that is forced or
2: right.
1: immigration that's for you know safety um, reasons, which is obviously going to add a whole other component to the twelfth house that is not my happy hermit. I'm going to go move abroad. Yeah. Like my experience is very privileged in that way, and mm-hmm. I think they're very they're different things, but I think that yeah, there's a lot of isolation. That comes from moving to a new place where you don't speak the language, where you don't know anybody, which is what I did. I just kind of up and moved. I was like, you know what? Let's just go. Let's go try it out. didn't have any friends there. I didn't, you know, take in French, but I didn't really speak the language fluently. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah, I did meet my partner. We did get married, you know, and we also got married in my 12th house year and we eloped in Thailand and didn't invite anybody to our wedding. So it was a very 12th house ruled by Venus in the seventh kind of experience as well. So part of that's got to, got to play into it too.
0: Yeah. It's just interesting that in these Capricorn, Aquarius, you know, Saturn sun episodes, we've talked more about the 12th house. And for those that are unfamiliar with the joy schema, each planet joys in a certain place and Saturn joys in the 12th. So it feels fitting that we're talking more about that place. And for those that want to learn more about the 12th, as it relates to finding refuge, I talk about that with Oscar in my my last episode uh, or the first episode of the Capricorn Sun um, iteration. Uh, and we have like a kind of really interesting moving conversation about that. So I definitely suggest that if people are interested in talking more about or learning more about that. Um, and I also feel like I relate a lot to i just want to say like i relate a lot to that idea of um like context really mattering in terms of how certain things land or how you perceive certain things when you are in a foreign country like Mm -hmm. if someone looks at you weirdly you know for example i lived when i lived in belgium studying abroad in college i went to amsterdam and it was like the only place in europe this is just my experience where I felt unsafe. Like I was, someone was riding their bike and they threw a beer can at me. And then like someone else tried to fight me on the street. It was very strange. Um, I just didn't go back. I was just like, all right, I won't come back here. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. I lived in Spain a few years later and people, it was very common apparently for people to just stare at other people on the street.
1: Yes. And
0: uh, I had like, as some people who have watched the 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 podcast know, I, I like I had a large red beard. I don't look Spanish. Like people could tell that I was not from that place. Mm-hmm. And they stared at me on the street and I found it to be and going to Spain, I was like, I'm going to move to this place. Like I'm going to live in Spain. This is gonna be my home now.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I found that because of that context that I went into uh living there with, I found that to be very um, unsettling and upsetting.
2: Yeah, and I ultimately left.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think there are when you have the t- like a twelfth house house con- context of like I'm leaving my home and I'm going to this other place and I have to make it work or I want to make it work. Some of those cultural differences, uh, will be more evident than if you were just doing the ninth house thing of making the trip and leaving.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you're going to have most of the time anyway, different planets ruling those houses. So your experience mm-hmm. of being a tourist is going to be very different than your experience of being, you know, um, like immigrating there or being an expat or, you know, so there's, yeah, it's, it's very jarring though. Cause no matter what you're going to have, you're going to come up against cultural norms that are just totally different than what you're used to. And I think this, you know, really ties back in with just the narrative of Aquarius as the exile, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Aquarians often have an experience where maybe they're not moving to a different country, but there is almost like a, a leaving that has Mm -hmm. to happen in order to find themselves. And sometimes that can be a very painful process, perhaps more painful for those who have night charts and Saturn's their malefic contrary to sect. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a, there's a process that's very distinct with Aquarius where they often feel like, the black sheep of their family, or they feel like, you know, like a outcast or, you know, in high school or whatever it might be. And those are usually the situations that cause someone to not feel rooted to where they come from. And it's like, well, well, why not leave? You know, why not Mm -hmm. try something different? And so I think that there can, that can show up a lot of times with Aquarius and maybe that's where they get the, you know, kind of uh, a lot of the significations that come with um maybe like the more Uranus side of things of like wanting to break free of cultural norms and stuff like that. I'm like, no, I think they just get sick of it and <laughs> they want to mm-hmm. leave and try something new.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to talk more about your thoughts on Aquarius. I just wanted to pull up uh, Twitter really quickly because you know, I felt moved last night to just ask people like Hey, I'm doing this recording with Kira, and with you know, I'm recording with Cameron Allen tomorrow. Oh, fun! What questions do you have? You know, and someone answered an interesting question that I think, or asked an interesting question that aligned with that. So I'll just share. I'll just share my screen. Uh, why was I summoned? said, I think it'd be nice to get into why there are so many misconceptions. I said, Can you tell me more about what misconceptions you see? They said the the humanitarian being completely and totally emotionless, innovative, utopian building, also playing the role of the rebel. Some of these things can happen, sure, but I don't know why these extremes, Jesus complex ideas about them exist. (laughs) So I feel like that kind of touches a little bit on what you were saying. Uh, Sam Reynolds has also been going uh, on a bit of a a a tirade, (laughs) a rampage on Aquarius placements. uh saying that they're like you know they get they get viewed as kind of utopian um but he doesn't see them that way so i'm just you know i think with those maybe maybe two points as jumping off points i'm interested to hear uh more about that and more about your perspective on this sign and like why there does seem to be so many different ideas about what aquarius is
1: yeah yeah well, I think one of it is Uranus being the modern ruler and Saturn being the traditional ruler. I think a lot of it comes from that. And then I think another part that's really crucial is the temperament piece, which I think Ali Alomi talked about in his Aquarius episode that he did on his podcast as well, where mm-hmm. Saturn is a cold, dry planet. You know, Aquarius is a warm kind of wet sign. So you have these contrarieties built in already, right? right? Where we see someone who is going to deal with like Saturnian, maybe more like melancholic things. But then all of a sudden you get this like sanguine kind of temperament. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like someone who is both sociable and maybe a little bit more of a loner. And so I think that's where we get like the humanitarian kind of mm-hmm. idea of like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm here for the collective and I want to, I'm social, but also I want to be like locked into my, you know, <laughs> cave or whatever.
2: There's yeah. kind of like
1: a, a distance, I think that shows up a lot of the time. And You know, we think of air as being a very movable element, then all of a sudden it's a thick sign. Mm
2: -hmm. And so it's
1: like everywhere we look, we see these very opposing almost ideals of what it means to be an Aquarius. And I think Aquarians do hold a lot of contradictions within them because of this. I think they are social and also they're Saturnian. They need more alone time. They need, you know, I love my friends, love to hang out, but also like I don't want to hang out more than like once a month. Like I'm just Mm -hmm. not... Mm-hmm. <laughs> just not that person you know yeah um, and my friends know that about me like no one's hitting me up every week like let's hang out because they just know I'm not going to do it
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's just part of who I am and how I approach relationship and like yeah but if you text me I'm gonna reply you know mm-hmm. like oh, I'm there like I, I care about you I love you I want to take care of you but I just can't be eternally present either like I kind of yeah. have to have a bit of distance for myself and so I think you see kind of, at least in my own, you know, experience of being so Aquarian is there's both sides of it where you do have that part of you. Like if I don't do anything for a week, I'll just go crazy. Mm. Got to get out of the house. I got to be doing something, but not too much. There's like a delicate balance. And I think in Aquarius, you find that kind of need for balance. And I think Mm -hmm. the idealism that comes in Aquarius is oftentimes a product of consideration right like this is the air element there's a curiosity here but it's fixed
0: mm-hmm. so you want to
1: go and you want to explore all the possibilities and try all the things and then you want to define and kind of cultivate an opinion and then once that's happened it's very hard to change the opinion i will
2: mm.
1: be very honest when I say think Aquarians are very stubborn people myself included
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i think it's because we've oftentimes taken the time to consider and i think maybe this is where she's getting the God complex or Jesus complex thing is. It's like, well, no, I, but I've thought about it. Like I've, Mm -hmm. I've taken the time to consider what the best possible way to do this is. You haven't even considered it. So of course I'm going to be more right than you, you know, and I'm not saying that's a good way to be or the right way to be, but I think that can sometimes happen when we don't remain curious. We get too fixed in our opinions Mm -hmm. or too fixed Mm -hmm. in that process. And so, you have to kind of move back into the air element of it all. And I think my, at least Gemini rising kind of helps bounce that out a little bit for myself personally, but yeah. Yeah. Makes sense.
0: Totally. I mean, one of the things, so I guess I'll talk about the temperament thing first. I was reminded yesterday reading um, Ali Lomi's tweet thread about Aquarius that Aquarius is considered this hot wet sign, which feels really interesting for, for me because within the Mediterranean context where astrology kind of arose and within my context where I'm currently at Aquarius season is a very, is, is a quite cold Mm -hmm. um, time, but all all, it it gets this kind of hot and wet thing because air signs within a certain temperament schema. And there are like a variety of temperament schemas. Some people would say that that air signs are cold. Um, And then in another schema, they're given sanguine qualities, Mm -hmm. so hot and wet, which is kind of like of the nature of Jupiter, Mm -hmm. expanding and supportive of life. Um, But there are like different temperament schemes, I guess I just want to say. Like I, I recently heard Chris Brennan talking about this scheme that just gives one quality to each of each of the elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was on his like commentary on the, uh, project hindsight, like interview thing that he did. And within that schema, air signs get a cold attribute and, um, fire signs get hot rather than hot and dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, etc. So I just want to kind of point that out and, I also feel like this is kind of something I was relating to. I was reading uh, Channing Nicholas's like Aquarius season post earlier today, mm-hmm. and I related especially to this uh, thing. It said like she had welcome to Aquarius season and like all of these kind of statements. And one of the statements is humanity forward, but leave me alone. And I have Venus in Aquarius ruling my my MC and doing a lot of work with the planets that I have in my first house as well and i i really relate to this mm-hmm. in, in an interesting way uh and i think it does kind of embody that kind of jupiterian sanguine uh quality of air signs but also the saturnian like curmudgeonly like leave me alone like things are more almost important as ideals than they yeah. are in the lived reality. And I think for me, the thing I relate to, I also have Venus in addition to ruling my 11th and my MC, she rules my six, the house of like pets, mm. um, or certain kinds of animals. And I was vegan for 10 years. I'm no longer vegan for health reasons, but I was vegan for 10 years and people would be like, Oh, do you really like animals? And I'd be like, I don't particularly like, I'm not a person who like sees a dog on a street and like melts. Like some people do like, yeah. Yeah. I like animals. I have a dog. I love cats, um, which are it's funny because they're partic- like typically given Saturnian, Saturnian rulership. <laughs> uh, but like, I believe more in the idea that animals shouldn't suffer needlessly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's important because, you know, and, and then it's like people it's like, yeah, I lo- like, I believe in human rights, but I don't love all people, you know, like, I don't want to hang out with everybody. Uh, and that's definitely changed a lot over time. But uh, it's just interesting like th- how there can be this gap between what's believed and what's what the desired embodied lived experience is. Um, so that's really interesting. And then the other thing I just want to say before I forget, it's interesting how for all Mutable Risings, their ninth house is a fixed sign. Mm-hmm. So, like I think about that a lot being a sad rising with uh Leo as my ninth whole sign house with the sun ruling that the planet that's perhaps perhaps like the most consistent. Yeah. Um and there's this tension between like changeable identity, perhaps, depending on where your ascendant ruler is placed. Maybe you don't relate to that as much because you have Mercury ruling your Gemini ascendant in a fixed sign, but like I have this cardinal, uh, Jupiter in cancer. And so there's this idea of like many iterations, like many Mm -hmm. new selves. Um, but like the underlying structure of belief, we think about that as the ninth house is quite consistent. Like my beliefs don't change my values and virtue, like the things I think are virtuous. They don't really change. Um, but like I have many iterations of myself and that's an interesting kind of tension i think
1: yeah i love that that's really interesting and i feel very similarly like you know so i'm the classic gemini rising it's like okay it's time for my personal rebrand like once per year you know like (laughs) i gotta (laughs) gotta change it up but then if i think about who i am at my core it's very similar to who i was as a kid you know especially like the things i believe the the values i hold things that I think are important to fight for in the world like those humanitarian causes and things like that you know I was the like the fifth grader writing papers on like why people should have like you know like uh, gay people should be allowed to get married and things like that and like Mm. those things don't change like there's always been a focus for me on equality and justice and like just let people live you know let people be live their lives and I think that there's a huge element of that. Maybe it also comes from a little bit of like Aquarius being like a humane sign, you know, where it's like we're focused on the humanity element of like we want everyone to have to just do what they want to do because we want to do what we want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't want people to judge me or get mad at me for being me. And I just, and I don't want to get, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to get mad or judge anybody for being them. Like just do you and I'm going to do me. And I think that those two things can peacefully coexist with. I'll be social sometimes and also like please please leave me alone you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah i think the thing too if we think about aquarius as like opposite leo and opposite like this home of, of the sun i think about aquarius as like the view from the outer edge yes and i think maybe like the multiplicity or like this these kinds of like varied um perceptions of aquarius might be for that reason because like the scent the view from the center if we think of the sun as the center is limited It can only see so far perhaps but you know if you're standing on a mountaintop at the edge of a city you can see the whole city maybe you can't see it in you know detail you can't see the faces of the people walking around but you have another perspective which is equally valid or perhaps more valuable in certain yeah. circumstances.
1: Yeah, I talk about that with clients a lot with people who have aquarius placements because it is the unique perspective of being the outsider that allows you to see the structure of the whole. Versus mm-hmm. when you are the sun, you are just you. Like there's no consideration almost of the mm-hmm. structure of the whole because it just is what it is, you know, and you're at the center of it. And you can't, like you said, there's not a removal of perspective from where you're currently situated. Just with like Aquarius is it's kind of hard to be imagining like what it would be like to be in the center. You know, you could think about it, mm-hmm. but it's a concept. It's not your reality. And the right. reality for Aquarius is that you are on the outside, And that's not a bad thing, you know, sometimes that's really necessary. And I think that's why sometimes Aquarians have like that nature about them. That is a little bit more of like, no, but I can see things from a different point of view and perhaps the view that is a bit more collective focused
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and
1: not uh, self-focused. And I don't say that with any type of uh, judgment, we need both, you know?
0: Mm -hmm, Totally. Yeah. And I think when an Aquarius placement, um, or perhaps just like Saturnian in in general, when they do find themselves the center of attention, like that experience can be very uncomfortable. And I think about my own son in Capricorn and like creating this podcast, even like this kind of in retrospect, pretty small visibility. Um, it was incredibly, like, I was so like uncomfortable, and scared about the idea of like putting my voice and my image out into the world and like being increasing in promise Yeah. Being yeah. perceived. Absolutely. And so like, I had to look to people like, you know, like Ari Felix comes to mind, someone who's yeah. like very solar and like very much em- em- embodies their individuality not to, you know, say something radically
1: themselves yeah yeah
0: absolutely and like think about i thought about them a lot when i was launching this because i was like because i was like um i needed that kind of example of someone who was solar and Mm -hmm. you know stepped forth and shined in the world um in like a powerful way yeah yeah
2: yeah
1: that's that's so true i think you know, especially what you're saying there, it really reminds me of my right, like premier lesson and detriment happened to me last Norwak. Um, and I was spending a lot of time with Daniel Norman, um, Daniel the lion on, you know, social our media friend sites. Daniel. Yeah. Yes. Love Daniel. Daniel. I don't, I think that they've posted their charts, so I'm sure it's fine to say this, but they have a Leo sun in the 10th house. I have an Aquarius sun on the Midheaven. And they just light up every single room they walk in. Like they have a warmth, a glow. They mm-hmm. can talk to anybody. They can schmooze. They can charm. It's like it's beautiful to watch. It really is. And I was just sitting there like, how do you how do you do this? Like I don't mm-hmm. understand. And I think people oftentimes think because maybe my son is on the mid heaven, but I'm like that,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know. And especially like I put myself out there on social media and stuff like that. But there's distance. Yeah. (laughs) And like the distance is so key. Like I can't do that in person. I'm a very like actually very awkward and uncomfortable person until I know you. Mm -hmm. I tend to just like stick with the people I know because I need that like comfort zone. And when people come up to me and just start talking to me, I'm like, ah, you know, I get really nervous. And I was sitting there and it just made me understand detriment so much better where I was just like, it's not that I can't do the things that a domiciled son can do. It's just that it feels wholly like contrary to my nature to force Mm -hmm. myself to do that. I have to force myself to do it rather than it just coming naturally. It doesn't mean I can't do it. That doesn't mean I can't do it well, but I have to work at it in a way Mm -hmm. that, I don't know, maybe Daniel feels like they have to do. I don't think they do. Mm
0: -hmm. And I say that
1: as someone who's quite good friends with Daniel, but you know, they're just... It's natural. They just can Mm -hmm. walk into a room and it's there. It's accessible. And for me, it's like gotta have like a pep talk with myself before I go into a place like that where it's like, okay, you're gonna talk to people and it's gonna be a lot, and I feel really overwhelmed and I want to run away. And it's just not the same feeling Mm -hmm. of the experience if that makes sense.
0: Totally. I'm just thinking about my experience at Norwalk. I wasn't even there as like an astrology student or like a you know a prominent person. Like I was there supporting my then partner who was speaking there
2: mm. and
0: even then like i was like i need to go back to the hotel room <laughs> and like lay in bed and like play video games and like just not think for for a little while and be alone and mm-hmm. so I, I i do think it's like yeah really a lot as like being an introvert and that doesn't you know i think that there's there's been a lot of talk about introversion over the past past few years like you know, that the book quiet that came out and it really does feel kind of like where you, for me, like where I get my energy from the shyness that I've experienced in my life is separate from introversion, you know, Mm. like, but like if I'm around people for too long, like I literally feel like I lose my center Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: it's like hard to connect with myself and I need to be alone to like reconnect with my body and reconnect with like what feels like my center. And so, yeah, it's like, there's the, it's not that I can't do it. It's not that, um, but like, it's like, what's the cost and like what needs to be done to come back to like a place of neutrality, like get back to zero. Whereas, yeah. you know, someone who's more extroverted or perhaps like the Leo son, they're just like, getting energy from those interactions mm-hmm. rather than having it be like a, something that kind of feels like it um, is depleting.
1: Yeah. It fuels their fire rather than draining it. And so much mm-hmm. of what you said, I think is just your, the 12th house lot of spirit things too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that need to kind of separate yourself and come back to center. I know after Norwalk, and i had seen some friends prior, so I had spent maybe like 10 days without being, alone for more than 30 minutes and I went and I was going to go see family after I fell asleep at the dinner table I was so exhausted and drained and it's not like I wasn't sleeping I wasn't up partying all night at Norwalk like it wasn't really like that at the last one but it was just something about having to be on all of the time that was incredibly draining and I think for my you know Aquarius placements like I just have to have a bit of yeah space distance to be my little introverted self so I can go do the extroverted things. But
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: when you have to do them for an extended period of time, I think it's harder to be consistent with it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And speaking of beautiful uh, visages uh, and Daniel, I was inspired very much by daniel's uh, we were talking about this before we started recording a video setup because they're launching a podcast they released a little teaser for that and their video setup was so nice um and makes me want to kind of step up my game for this podcast but for any of you that have not uh checked that out I'll, i'll link it in the show notes but go check out daniel's new podcast um What What time time it is? is What time is it? What time is it? Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's such a cool concept. Yeah, it's it's great. um, They're just going to answer questions, basically. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's so nice for people who are learning or who want to dive more into a specific subject, want to the opinion of another astrologer. I feel like it's such an incredible format because we don't have anyone just kind of doing this question and answer thing, but there's so many people with questions. Right, you know, half of a Twitter reply thread is just like, "What about? What does this mean for me? What, right. what about this?" You know, and so it's like, well, now you have a place where you can go ask your questions and get mm-hmm. really thoughtful answers. Like Daniel is a genius. I don't think anyone knows how much they read and just they're so knowledgeable in so many things. I rave about Daniel. Love them. Mm-hmm. See yeah. like the Leos. Like you can't help but just be like, they're incredible. You know, yeah. and I think even being around Leo's to me feels like a solar remediation. I'm like, totally. There's, there's a warmth that
0: comes from them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. And I also just wanted to say to kind of, I think people talk about detriment. I just want to kind of hopefully maybe expand this concept a little bit, but when I had gray on this podcast talking about the moon and temperament, um, he was nice enough to share with me the lecture that he did at Norweck 2023. Um, about what's commonly known as detriment, which is a planet opposite the sign and house that it rules in a chart. Um, And his kind of contention is that the term detriment doesn't exist until, you know, like it it starts popping up in the seventh century and the word is mistranslated and it kind of means opposite or contrary um, and then he talks about how, you know, in an astrology podcast episode, Ben Dykes and Chris are kind of talking about um, like what this term should be. And Ben Dykes puts forth the the term inversion, which Gray mm-hmm. kind of prefers. Chris puts forth the term antithesis, like the antithesis of the synthesis, right. which is the place that, you know, the, the planet rules. Um, but antithesis does have kind of negative connotations. And so his main kind of I'm still li- watching the lecture and but his main kind of idea is that unlike fall, what we've called um, detriment is not really like the planet being weak uh, or not having resources, but it's more just like the planet being opposite. That sign that it rules and oppositions are harsh aspects that can bring tension and. Um, So I'm just interested if you have any additional thoughts on that. The thought that kind of came up for me was that some of these kind of inversions could be um, more or less uh, challenging. If you have Mm -hmm. like Mars, if you have a Scorpio ascendant and Mars and Taurus, maybe that's more difficult um, because Mars is a malefic or, you know, Saturn and Aquarius, you know, um, saturn in uh, in cancer ruling a capricorn ascendant something like that mm-hmm. um but yeah like the sun a sun opposition isn't necessarily like the worst thing or a, a b- benefic opposition could be a good aspect it's better than no aspect at all perhaps mm-hmm. so just interested in hearing your thoughts
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to that planet feeling uncomfortable. Like I think the best way to think about it is just imagine that planet in that place. So the one that I often use for Mars, for example, it's like you're putting the god of war and then you put him in Taurus in this like gorgeous flower field and Mars is like here to like chop shit down and like go to war it's mm-hmm. like what am i supposed to do here like what, like i'm not built for this and i think yeah. that's how it feels it's like i'm not built for this that doesn't mean mars can't learn how to well you know respectfully take a chill pill and like hang out i'm sure mars can mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel natural mars doesn't want to sit down and hang out and have a picnic you mm-hmm. know mars wants to go do shit right and so i think it just creates this feeling of like yeah, uncomfortability or like, this is not my natural state. So I have to adapt. Mm -hmm. Adaptation is certainly possible and necessary. Like I think, you know, detriment planets or antithesis or inversion, whatever we want to say, they do learn to adapt. They get quite good at adapting Mm -hmm. and they can hide the fact that they're adapting better and better with time and experience, but they're still adapting it's still Mm going to feel uncomfortable i don't think that feeling ever goes wholly away if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah totally and i also just want to give a shout out again to kira taborn because i did this panel this chart rulership panel with her and we both are jupiter ruled but i have jupiter exalted in cancer and she has jupiter in quote-unquote detriment in virgo yeah and you know, I think in particular, if your ascendant ruler is in um, is in detriment, there is this real like kind of like preoccupation or like thinking about the other because, you know, the planets in the seventh house. I just want to plug that um that panel that Catherine hosted, because I, I thought it was really, really informative, getting a different perspective on like this kind of similar risings, you know, the same planetary ruler but in a very different condition
1: yeah absolutely i think it can also just highlight where we might take things for granted sometimes with planets that are in domicile not realize how easily that thing does come to us where with planets that are in detriment like they have to work for it a little bit more that doesn't mean they can't get there doesn't mean they're not resourced Mm -hmm. they gotta put the effort in and i think that's that effort becomes even like you know a superpower or appreciated over time where it can kind of become this thing where it's like oh I'm glad that I had to, you know, have that experience because it gives me a different perspective. That's often at least how I feel with my Aquarius sun. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes with domiciled planets, like my Jupiter and Sag, I don't know what it's like to, to, to not run on faith and optimism and just believe uh-huh. that everything's going to be okay. Yeah, You know, like there is this Saturnian part of me that balances out. My Saturn's in a Jupiter ruled sign, you know, so I know that I come from a place that is inherently more Glass half full than glass mm-hmm. half empty, mm-hmm. and so sometimes I think when we consider like the detriment schema and things like that, it can also just help us to understand where we might just benefit from certain things that, yeah, we we don't even know how how much that matters or how powerful that gift can be when you're not working for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's be- beautifully put. Um yeah, so you I just want to give a plug for one of your lectures that I found. It was the first lecture of yours that I watched, which, which was your ninth house lecture, which oh, I thanks. found so like informative and like made me think about like house aspects in a way that I hadn't really considered um before. Like earlier, we kind of talked about this square between the ninth and the twelfth, which can be a tense thing., um, and you kind of go through all of the aspects in that lecture. And so you have like Aquarius as as your ninth whole sign house, and I'm just curious that you know again with the joy schema that means that your sun is joying uh, in that house, and I'm just curious how you feel like the sun being in that that you know place in the sky affects your experience of it.
1: Yeah, I mean I think you know the house significations come a lot from the joy schema as well, so. When a planet is in its joy, it's just naturally capable of taking on the tasks there because the task aligned with its essential nature. can mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable doing them if it's in detriment, like in my case, but it's it's kind of like, yeah, this is what we're, this is what we're here for. This is what we're supposed to do. You know, like people used to ask me when I was in like high school or middle school, like what I wanted to be when I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I used to, I always think this is so funny now that I know my chart I'd say, I want to be a modern day philosopher. Like I just want to sit around <laughs> And I want to think about shit and I want to tell people my opinions and I want to somehow make money off of this. And I just want to, I just want to think about the world all the time. That's Mm -hmm. what I want to do, Mm -hmm. which obviously like at the time I was like, there's no job that I can have. And now I kind of get to do that, you know, I consult and things like that, but it's basically my job now. And so I think it was always there, you know, and I think that sun was just always contemplative and like, I always wanted to, Learn and explore, and those ninth house things that are so crucial to you know a person's pathway to self discovery, which is kind of like the you know uh, title of that lecture. Is I think a lot of what we're doing in the ninth house is finding ourselves. Mm -hmm. We find ourselves when we travel, when we engage in different you know uh, religious or spiritual traditions, those that are different from our own. We learn what we value about our own traditions and belief systems Mm -hmm. by experiencing something that is outside of ourselves and when you go to university, you know, it's usually the first time where people are like, what do you want to do? What do you want to learn? Up until that point, it's all been directed by a greater organized system. And now finally, you have a little bit of say, you get to choose what you major in. Mm
2: -hmm. You know,
1: you're, you're separating from your parents for the first time for a lot of people. And so there is kind of this pathway to self-discovery that we find in the ninth house. And I think. I've just been on that pathway maybe a little bit longer Mm -hmm. than some people, like constantly engaging with those themes and ideas. And I remember in middle school, like my favorite lesson was like the religion lesson where we just learned about all the different religions. And Mm -hmm. there's always been that part of me that just felt very intrigued by belief and Mm -hmm. like what people believe in. And that was before I was ever remotely had any kind of belief in a higher power or anything like that. It was just like, wow, this is really Important. People really Mm -hmm. seem to care about this. We're going to wars for the entirety of humanity over this stuff. Like,
2: Mm.
1: it's important, you know? And why wouldn't we want to study and learn about this thing that is so crucial and critical to the way people do life, to the way our governments are shaped? You know, there's Mm. so many things that kind of rest and rely on this. It just feels so crucial and integral to human nature. Like, why wouldn't we want to study that? And so, my son, I think, has just always been wrapped up in those ninth house topics.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. You remind me that um, not to go off on a tangent, but I was reading, I actually have it right here. Abū Mashar's um, book of religions where he, it's like him laying out the system of world astrology, which revolves a lot around Saturn, Saturn Jupiter conjunctions, mm-hmm. but he talks about the role that kind of each of the planets play in society and Saturn uh, is the planet of religion, and we have, and and Jupiter is the planet of law, and the the reason that the Saturn Jupiter conjunctions are so important is because uh, religion like sets the stage for law, and law reinforces religion, and uh, the next outer planet, Mars, is the planet that. Make sure that the laws are forces. carried out, yeah, by mm-hmm. via going to war, um, which determines dynasties and what have you. And so, that's just you know, a really interesting kind of thought. How that's uh, those kinds of thoughts were active for you, kind of like before becoming a student of astrology. And it's interesting to think about the ninth house as also a planet. Uh, or i'm sorry uh, a a place of law as well as religion because mm-hmm. i think it's also you know and again you talk about like the cadence the that the cadency but the nice aspect between the ninth and the first and i think that that's kind of embodied in in this fact that law is uh a limit to self like mm. law limits what we can um uh, legally do within a society, uh, and the things that we do perhaps to some degree determine who we are. Um, but most of us don't like fret over that fact that like we shouldn't steal or murder or, you know, or things like that. We're just like, (laughs) it's not like a, doesn't feel like a constraint, but there is this kind of legal constraint that hangs over all of us and we live within legal frameworks. And so it's just interesting to kind of think about that I think um what did you major in in college I'm curious
1: um I started majoring in history okay that's funny Mm -hmm. and then I dropped out and moved abroad and Mm -hmm. (laughs) came here and then I kind of got caught up in, oh, I should probably just do something that's going to actually be able to pay my bills, because what am I going to do with a history degree? Yeah. Even though that was what I was passionate about. That's why I majored in history. I have a minor in it now, but it was just the thing that I was like, that's what I want to study. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to spend my time learning about, which I didn't know in our capitalist society is not the way that you should approach college. Um, yeah. I didn't meet. know that Perhaps either. It is actually the way that we should approach it, but it's not the way that we approach it. And mm-hmm. so then I ended up getting my degree in um communications and social media, like digital marketing and things like that. Which okay. to be fair, it all helps. It all yeah. helps what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the history was wasn't the first and real calling that I wanted to. I was like, I'll be a history teacher or something mm-hmm. like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. I studied philosophy for similar reasons because I was there like, this is the only thing that really feels stimulating enough to me interesting to enough a to me, in a classroom <laughs> to go do yeah to like kind of commit to um yeah. but i was also a global studies major so i had that history there was like a history component as well a world history mm-hmm. component um love that. interestingly enough yeah yeah maybe one day i'll be a a world astrologer we'll we'll see i'm
1: sure i see it for you
0: <laughs> yeah let's talk a little bit more about your um your saturn placement before we wrap up how do you feel like that you know you talked about saturn in the 10th and pisces how does that kind of play into those kind of saturnian houses in your chart and how they manifest
1: yeah i think saturn well anywhere that it's angular prominent you know conjunct personal placement or something like that feels like the weight of expectation you know um mm. maybe that like perfectionist quality that we talked about earlier to me saturn in the 10th feels very much like a this pressure, you know, to be make sure I'm always saying the right thing and, you know, coming off the right way. And I never want to offend anybody. I worry incessantly about my work um, Mm. to the degree of like, I oftentimes will wake up at like three in the morning and be like, what did I say in that lecture like three months ago? And was that right? Mm -hmm. You know, like I'll just like wonder if my source was right or if I said the wrong thing which like it's out it's done like Mm -hmm. move on you know what I Mm -hmm. mean like if you said the wrong thing you said the wrong thing and actually listening to Robert Schmidt's lectures was one of the things that was so helpful for me with this because this man would just change his mind constantly
2: Mm -hmm. and be totally
1: okay with it you know he'd be like oh yeah I know I said in a lecture before that this is what I think but actually now I think this and no no worries you know Mm -hmm. um I have that worry very, very strongly within myself
2: mm-hmm. that I,
1: if I say something, I want to make sure I'm saying it in a way that I can back up and support and that I have like the facts and the data and all those things. And so I think, yeah, Saturn in the 10th to me feels like this really strong pressure to make sure that if I'm presenting myself as an authority on a subject – that I'm well-researched, that I have my information, that I'm presenting in a way that's clear and comprehensive. Mm-hmm. But it also does feel stressful. It feels like pressure. Yeah, I think sometimes it feels very isolating or alienating. Like on the one hand, I'm lucky to have a lot of incredible friends in the astrology community, you know, who mm-hmm. I feel so connected to and so like lucky to have them. But on the other side, I'm like, I kind of had to do this all by myself, you know? Like I feel like mm-hmm. I... There was like an alone factor where it was just me in my room with my little laptop trying to build a career, Mm -hmm. you know, and it felt like, you know, I don't have coworkers, I don't have a boss. Like there is this isolating element, I think, to having Saturn in the 10th, where it just feels like you kind of have to make it happen for yourself, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Totally. I mean, I think beyond your personal experience, that's definitely something I see with astrologers mm-hmm. in particular um it's something i experience. like doing this this podcast even like you know i've talked about like i'm just i'm sitting in my room i do my editing mm-hmm. i put it out in the world sometimes i get feedback sometimes i just see how many people have watched it and listened to it and i'm like okay cool the numbers going up i <laughs> hope that that sounds like a good seems like a good thing um but like there is a detachment in a sense and i think you know, I've seen professional astrologers too. It's like work from their office at home and mm-hmm. it's them. And, and, and they talk about like going to things like Norwalk or conferences and like why those are so important. Cause it's like the one time of year or what have you, when they get to like come together with their colleagues or their friends um to kind of like be amongst other astrologers, cause they're not going into like, you know, the astrology office every day yeah. with the other <laughs> astrologers doing, you know, totally, which uh, maybe there's some kind of market there for, especially in a city like New York. I don't know how many people there are on press, but there's like probably enough astrologers here that we could rent an office and work totally. together and do something like that. But yeah a lot of it is, yeah, this kind of, you know, working. Working in isolation and working kind of alone to build something, which feels very Saturnian. Mm -hmm.
1: um, Yeah. You know, but like the the astrology group chat, you got to have one. It's (laughs) to me, those are my coworkers, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. to have people that you can kind of chat with and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, have just like water cooler chat, so to speak. Yeah. I think otherwise it really, it really feels very Saturnian, which could get lonely sometimes. I think, especially if you don't have like a, big consulting practice like I feel lucky enough that like I meet with people very regularly you know like Mm -hmm. I consult four days a week I'm seeing two to three people on those days so like I'm also kind of constantly interacting with people yeah but then it's like you know the zoom ends and I'm Mm -hmm. back in my office yeah by myself just like writing a blog post or Mm -hmm. you know working on a lecture or something like that so there is a very solitary component I think to my career and I don't Mm -hmm. live like, close to any astrologers besides one person, Eloise, Um, and she was, we don't even, like, she's always in a new country, so we briefly sometimes will live in the same city, but other than that, you know, I don't have, like, even friends that I could go meet up with Mm
0: -hmm. that are close
1: by, so it just feels like, yeah, kind of doing it alone in my room.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I will say, like, I I do want to acknowledge that I'm privileged, like, two times a month i get to have these kind of in-depth conversations with very thoughtful like talented astrologers and not everybody even gets that like so and as if i can think up new ideas for episodes i can have as many conversations as i really want so um i do kind of acknowledge that i have some kind of privilege in that regard yeah um,
1: me as well for sure
0: yeah which i'm definitely very grateful for Um, amazing. Can you, is, are there any aspects that your son makes, um, that you think would be important to discuss?
1: Um, well, my son is in conjunction with Mercury. Um, Mm -hmm. my Mercury is combust and retrograde. So moving towards the sun, um, and that feels very just central to everything I do. You know, I'm an astrologer. I would associate Mercury with divination. Um, I'm a writer. I would associate Mercury with writing and communication. Mm -hmm. Um, even just like technology or like social media and that being a big part of like how I present my information and my teachings and things like mm-hmm. that. So I feel like there is a really big element of that, especially since I'm a Gemini rising, like it's like these two right. parts of my chart are kind of inseparable. That's you. That's yeah. It's like the
0: avatar <laughs> for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so it kind of feels um like inseparable to who I am. And then My son also has like an overcoming sextile from Jupiter within one degree. It's separating, but it feels pretty prominent. And I think there's a, like a hope and like an optimism that Jupiter gives my son that does help with the Saturnian sides of things that we've discussed Mm -hmm. in this episode where I don't even think like I did, you know, like everyone's on Twitter these days, like what vibe am I? Like what planet am I? Saturn for me got like 10%, like no one said Saturn. And (laughs) and I think I'm so Saturnian. People probably think I'm a lot more Saturnian after they hear this podcast, but Mm. that's not how I come off. You know, I think I come off as very Jupiter, very Mercury, maybe Venus. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. there's that element there that I think that sextile from Jupiter does help me appear with like my son on the midheaven, very like positive and like joyous and things like that Mm -hmm. and then people get to know me and they know that i'm really sarcastic i like Mm -hmm. i have this like completely other side to me that i think a lot of people just don't get from my online persona so to speak and Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that that sextile is really powerful for helping me just be like a bit more like glass half full but also for the way that people see me generally
0: Mm -hmm. what won out in the in the poll It was
1: an exact tie between Jupiter and Venus, which is shocking to me. I think it's just because I'm in a Venus year. Like I just don't, I don't think I'm a Venus person, Mm. which everyone else apparently (laughs) disagrees. This is the first year I feel like I've gotten into Venus. Like she just my out of sec benefic. She's in Jupiter's sign, Jupiter's super strong. So I just feel like, you know, sorry, Girly, I just don't give her as much attention as I should, but Mm Apparently that's not the public perception.
0: Yeah. I'm checking my poll right now to see because I posted (laughs) this too. 126 votes, 45% Jupiter, 31% Mercury.
1: I think I said moon for you. Oh, did you? Yeah. You can be like lunar, like thoughtful kind of, I don't know if it's also just because you have a podcast about the moon. Like I was wondering how much this played into people's votes, you know, where if like they have something in there, like, title or something like that that we just tend to associate with them even Mm -hmm. subconsciously how that Mm -hmm. impacts the way that we vote
0: yeah yeah the moon got eight nearly 18 percent. so okay i'm not the only one yeah and i do have the moon in the first i have mars in the first mars only got five so um yeah i think it makes sense people say the moon given yeah i did a whole whole year-long podcast (laughs) series on the moon um but yeah, Jupiter is my ascendant ruler and Mercury is conjunct my lot of fortune. So those, bo- both of those things kind of make sense too. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. And in terms of like, how much do you think, I'm just curious with the combustion or the, you know, Mercury under the beams, rolling your ascendant, how much you like factor in triplicity and like decanic dignity in terms of the alleviation of uh mercury under the beams
1: yeah i don't know if i would say it's an alleviation for the combustion they feel like separate Mm
0: -hmm. things to
1: me Mm -hmm. but it helps like, I think I like, I feel that Mercury in its own Deccan very mm-hmm. strongly, like Aquarius too, to me is the astrologer Deccan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, like I think T-Season Chang, Chang calls it a celestial navigation and mm. um, Austin Coppett calls it heaven and earth. And, you know, it's like this ability to bridge what's out there with what's down here. And so I think in a very real format, we see like mediums and astrologers and, you know, people who are able to be the communicating factor kind of go mm-hmm. between those. And I think for me, like with Mercury ruling astrology and stuff like that, it's very on my midheaven in the ninth, like, it's just very literal to me. And yes. I, I feel it, you know, I also like moved to a new country and like, I became like kind of sovereign in a new place. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think that that's really strong. The triplicity dignity, I think helps as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think everything, it always helps, right? Like it's always Mm -hmm. like, oh, that adds like a nice little factor. I think of triplicity dignity as like the, I get by with a little help from my friend's dignity.
0: Yeah. You do have like the the triplicity meet that Mercury can see is Jupiter and Jupiter's in the seventh. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's very literal. Like (laughs) get by with a little help from my friends.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, like one of those things where it's just like, it feels like I do have support, whether it be from my husband or from my friends or things like that where there is that ability to to get yeah like aid or even just like the support of my community honestly like I feel like people Mm -hmm. are really nice to me like online and stuff you know of course there's always going to be people that are my mars in the third um but for the most part like I feel like people are really supportive I have people just send me like astrology resources like I just do nothing and they'll just be like here's a thing that I thought you might like and I'm like i I I didn't pay for this or Mm -hmm. something like that you know
0: Mm -hmm. so I feel
1: like there is that kind of additional support but I think it feels very different to me than the combustion
0: Mm, which how so
1: the combustion feels a lot more like very kind of intertwined with my aquarius sun where like i just i have problems with being perceived like it's very uncomfortable mm. for me yeah. actually um got to have a lot of like materia on to do something like this you
2: know
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> got to have some magical support yeah um but i think there's also a, a thing with like having it be retrograde and combust where like i don't always see how i'm saying something and the impact that might have for better or for worse you know like mm. i could leave a consult and be like oh I'm that was not my best work, you know? And then they emailed me the next day and it was like, that was life-changing, like an incredible uh, experience, you know? Yeah. Or when I was younger, it probably played out for worse. And me, I'm a very honest, like direct person. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't realize that the way that I'm saying something is not like the smoothest or that it yeah. feels like almost like an interview with like people. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to get to know you. And they're like, okay, yeah. but it's like very direct, you know? And I think that there's like that lack of, Visibility that kind of factors Mm -hmm. into that, where I just don't see that that that's not the way that most people would communicate, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And it's, I actually relate to that a lot, which is interesting because I do think, you know, I like, I have this Jupiter moon thing going on too. So I feel like I try to communicate in a way that's very like caring and understanding. But then, like, the sun and Mercury are in Capricorn, and there is this very like, directness with communication sometimes that mm-hmm. i think can be i don't know if off-putting is the word but yeah it it's off <laughs> it can just be very like direct and yeah and kind of blunt
1: mm-hmm. um
0: so I, I i feel like i relate to that in my own ways for sure
1: yeah not saying you're off-putting i say my experience i think people view me when i do that as off-putting like they're like Mm -hmm. why are you asking me like you know I'm not a good small talk person Mm -hmm. I don't really like I just don't care you know and I can't fake like I do so just like oh like how do you feel about like you know souls like what do you what's your idea of like what happens after we die and they're like we met five minutes ago could you like (laughs) back it up and I'm just like oh I didn't realize that that's not something that we can talk about we weren't supposed to
0: talk about that It's a sorting mechanism, though you know, like those who indulge me. I'm like, okay, we totally. Can be friends, you know? Who are your people? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. absolutely. Um, all right, wonderful. Yeah, what suggestions would you have for someone new to astrology or pr- planetary relationship in kind of developing their relationship with the sun?
1: Yeah, I love that question. I think it's so simple, you know, like you don't have to overcomplicate it. Like, light mm-hmm. a candle on a Sunday morning say the hymn if you want to get crazy with it and just be just Mm. see what it feels like outside you know sit in the sun like what does that experience teach you What does the feeling of the sun on your skin Mm. like feel like to you internally and physically and I think that there's just ways that you can get into that I also really do love the Orphic hymns though I think they're great teaching tools and you know, the, the Orphic hymn to the sun, I think in a, in particular has like a lot of really good, like juicy tidbits, you know, where it's just like the eye of right, you know, and like, okay. So like the sun rules the right eye and like of seeds, the ruler and of life, the light, you know, there's mm-hmm. so many things where you can just kind of tease it apart line by line and you're just going to learn so much about the sun. But if you want to mm-hmm. form a relationship, just like say hi, mm-hmm. you know, I think that was what Hawk Grubb taught me when I was at the very beginning of forming, Planetary relationships, they're like, just say hi. Like if you don't need to like do some big thing. Like it doesn't have to be like a Pegatrix ritual where you're reciting like a six-page invocation and you're dressing a certain way and you're doing all Mm -hmm. of this. Like the planets are already in you and with you all of the time. And Mm. they're part of you. So just go go be with that part of you, you know?
0: Beautiful. All right. Is there anything that you want to add or do you have any imparting thoughts about the sun? Before we wrap I don't up, think so. I
1: feel like we covered a lot of good stuff. Hopefully I think we did it, Kira. Awesome.
0: All right, Kira, where can we find you? And is there anything you're working on that you'd like to share?
1: Um, you can find me on my website, KiraRyberg.com and, you know, just always putting out stuff. You can check out my lectures, mm-hmm. guidebooks. Um, I'll have an electional course dropping soon. So keep an eye out for that. Super excited, Very excited, about excited that. for that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. It's been a long time coming. So I just mm-hmm. got to finish it before the election comes. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of like the main things that I'm, that I'm working on. You can get a consult with me if you're feeling called and yeah, just, yeah. I don't know, my Aquarius son, I'm like, I don't know, man. Just
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> wonderful. Check out my
1: stuff, whatever calls, well, to you, calls to you.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being vulnerable and letting yourself be visible as a fellow saturnian i know how hard that can be so i just want to say i really appreciate it and um yeah thank you i hope that we can can talk again soon kira it's always a pleasure
1: yeah thank you for having me on
0: to support the show by donating or becoming a member please visit my website which is linked in the show notes and please subscribe to the show wherever you listen. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. See those links in the show notes as well. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, please feel free to contact me via my website or email me at sballhorary at gmail.com. In the show notes, you can also find links to astrologers and resources that we touched on in this episode. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next time.